This is a sermon from New City Presbyterian Church in Cincinnati, Ohio. To learn more about New City or to hear more sermons in this series, visit newcitycincy.org. Our scripture reading this morning is 1 Samuel 1, verse 3, through chapter 2, verse 10. It's a long one. If you'd like to follow along as I read it, it begins on page 225 in the Bibles in your rows. 1 Samuel 1. Now this man used to go up year by year from his city to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord of hosts at Shiloh, where the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were priests of the Lord. On the day when Elkanah sacrificed, he would give portions to Penina, his wife, and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion, because he loved her, though the Lord had closed her womb. And her rival used to provoke her grievously to irritate her because the Lord had closed her womb. So it went on year by year. As often as she went up to the house of the Lord, she used to provoke her. Therefore Hannah wept and would not eat. And Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? And why do you not eat? And why is your heart sad? Am I not more to you than ten sons? After they had eaten and drunk in Shiloh, Hannah rose. Now Eli, the priest, was sitting on the seat beside the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. She was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life and no razor shall touch his head. As she continued praying before the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was speaking in her heart. Only her lips moved, and her voice was not heard. Therefore, Eli took her to be a drunken woman, and Eli said to her, How long will you go on being drunk? Put your wine away from you. But Hannah answered, No, my Lord, I am a woman troubled in spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I have been pouring out my soul before the Lord. Do not regard your servant as a worthless woman, for all along I have been speaking out of my great anxiety and vexation. Then Eli answered, Go in peace, and the God of Israel grant your petition that you have made to him. And she said, Let your servant find favor in your eyes. Then the woman went her way and ate and her face was no longer sad. They rose early in the morning and worshiped before the Lord. Then they went back to their house at Ramah, and Elkanah knew Hannah his wife, and the Lord remembered her. And in due time, Hannah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Samuel. For she said, I have asked for him from the Lord. The man Elkanah and all his house went up to offer to the Lord the yearly sacrifice and to pay his vow. But Hannah did not go up, for she said to her husband, As soon as the child is weaned, I will bring him, so that he may appear in the presence of the Lord and dwell there forever. Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Do what seems best to you. Wait until you have weaned him. Only may the Lord establish his word. 
So the woman remained and nursed her son until she weaned him. And when she had weaned him, she took him up with her, along with a three-year-old bull, an ephah of flour, and a skin of wine. And she brought him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh. And the child was young. Then they slaughtered the bull, and they brought the child to Eli. And she said, Oh, my Lord, as you live, my Lord, I am the, pres- the woman who is standing here in your presence, praying to the Lord. For this child I prayed, and the Lord has granted me my petition that I made to him. Therefore, I have lent him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he is lent to the Lord. And he worshiped the Lord there. And Hannah prayed and said, My heart exalts in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth derides my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. There is none holy like the Lord, for there is none besides you. There is no rock like our God. Talk no more so very proudly. Let not arrogance come from your mouth. For the Lord is a God of knowledge, and by him actions are weighed. The bows of the mighty are broken, but the feeble bind on strength. Those who were full have hired themselves out for bread, but those who were hungry have ceased to hunger. The barren has borne seven, but she who has many children is forlorn. The Lord kills and brings to life. He brings down to Sheol and raises up. The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and he exalts. He raises up the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes and inherit a seat of honor. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's, and on them he has set the world. He will guard the feet of his faithful ones, but the wicked shall be cut off in darkness, for not by might shall a man prevail. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces. Against them he will thunder in heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Katie, for the long reading. Good morning, New City. Happy 7-11 Sunday. My name is Ryan Zhang. One of the substitute, I'm, I'm your substitute teacher this morning. Well, first, I just want to thank Pastor Brian doing an amazing job for keeping all the logistics in touch this week and this morning. And the reason I say this is because Pastor Josh has the disease. Now Josh is doing fine, and thankfully Paige and the kids did not catch it, but Josh has to quarantine for 10 days. That's why I'm your substitute teacher today. Also, Zach, our new uh, youth pastor, is also down with COVID, and thankfully Brian and I are fine. Until last night, I lost my sense of taste and developed a runny nose. Well, that's because I ate a very spicy jalapeno. (laughs) Well, I found out I had to preach on Tuesday night, and Brian offered me the option to recycle an old sermon. But then my wife said to me, this is one of the few passages in the Bible that features a woman's prayer. And then she said, as her foremother, Abigail Adams said to her husband, John Adams, Don't forget the ladies. I guess that left me with no choice. We are kicking off a new series based on the story of Samuel this summer. In some ways, this is actually a continuation of the Judges series we did a couple years ago because Samuel 
is commonly known as the last judge in Israel before the kings. Samuel was the judge that managed Israel's transition from a bunch of small tribes to a national monarchy. And the passage we're looking at today is Samuel's origin story. But before we get into the text, I want to do a little survey with you all. Raise your hand if these describe you. So let me start with an easy one. Are you more familiar to shop at Kroger or at Whole Foods? How many Kroger? Most of you. Whole Foods? Okay. Are you more familiar with dealing with a difficult child or a difficult client? Child? Client? Are you more familiar with your hometown's sports team winning or losing? Winning? Losing. That's how I know you're from Cincinnati. Are you more familiar with crying during a movie or crying during a sermon? Movie? Sermon? We need to step up more game here. Well, okay, last one. This is a bit more complicated, so I have a slide for you. Are you more familiar with praying so hard that people thought you were drunk, seeing God actually answer your prayers, or giving thanks to God like you just won a war? Are you more familiar with praying so hard that people thought you were drunk, seeing God actually answering your prayer, and giving thanks to God like you just won a war? All right, I won't ask you to raise your hands for this one. But these are the three things we'll look at today because all these things happened to Hannah. And I hope you're familiar with at least some of these things as well. So the first thing we'll see in our story is that Hannah prayed so hard that the priest Eli thought she was drunk. And this may show us what kind of encounters Eli usually has with people. He's not used to seeing people pouring out their hearts before God. Perhaps we're not familiar with that either. Now, Hannah was pouring out her soul to God because she was in pain. And Hannah was in pain because, verse 2 tells, tells us, Hannah had no children. She's barren. And I believe many of us understand this pain. Infertility is a story in many of our New City families, including our own. Infertility is hard. And I believe it's one of the direct curses of the fall. And this story may make this pain even stronger for you because unlike Hannah, you are still waiting for God to answer your prayers. Many of you are suffering in private and in silence, and I pray that you don't have to feel alone. We have an infertility and adoption prayer support group that meets regularly here in New City. In fact, they're meeting here later today. We hope you will feel seen and cared for by this church family. You have a family here. But for Hannah, her pain is not just private. It's very much public. The one, because childbearing has national significance. Now notice the book of Samuel begins with infertility and ends with David directly disobeying God to conduct a national census. He wanted to know how strong his army was. And this shows how important population growth is to a nation's economy and military strength. That's not just an ancient problem. It's still true for us today. Think back the last few months. We, don't re- you know, we just had a fight about our national census because it affects our representation to government. We don't report on news about China very often. But what are some of the things that came out of China in the last few months? 
Their population is shrinking. It's unsustainable for the economic, for economic growth and social security system. And these problems are not just for big nations, even more worse, even worse for small nations like Israel. I have a friend who lived in Singapore back in 2012, and he sent me this Mentos commercial called National Night, the Mentos, the mint candy. And basically the commercial is a reminder to Singaporeans to celebrate Singapore's National Day, not just with parades and fireworks, but also by fulfilling their civic duty to increase the national population. National night. It's serious business. So in a tiny nation like that, if you're a baron, you bear a lot of communal shame. You are part of the problem. So on top of the communal shame, there's a loss of personal security. For a widow in ancient Israel, your children are your source of income. If you have more children, you get more inheritance. You have more workers in your family. You have no children, you get none of these things. You're cursed by God. You, you see this in verse 4. On the day when Elkanah sacrificed, he would give portions to Penanah, his wife, and to all her sons and daughters. Now, Penanah got more food. Now, Elkanah was a good husband, and he would double Hannah's portion because he loved her. But even doubling her portion is still less than what Penanah would have gotten because she has more children. Now, plus, what would have happened to Hannah when Elkanah is dead? Who would give her food? So Hannah was part of a social problem. She has no personal security net. And thirdly, there was family strife. Perhaps because Hannah was barren, Elkanah took on a second, more fertile wife. And verse 6 says, Hannah's rival used to provoke her grievously to irritate her because the Lord had closed her womb. Penanah probably hated Hannah even more because she got special treatment from her husband. And the passage says, So it went on year by year. As often as she went up to the house of the Lord, she used to provoke her. Now, if you're Hannah's situation, what would you do? Naturally, we see that Hannah was heartbroken. The verse 7 says, Hannah wept and would not eat. But the next thing she did may surprise you. It says Hannah prayed. Now we can safely assume that this is not the first time Hannah prayed about this. Her family goes up to sacrifice to the Lord every year. Her rival would provoke her every year. I'm sure she has prayed for God, prayed to God for her son many times. But perhaps what's surprising is that she still prays. Not just some formulaic prayer hardened by the years. Verse 10 says, She was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. Eli mistook her as a drunken woman, and Hannah answered, I was pouring out my soul before the Lord. How many of us would pray for the same thing year after year and with increasing intensity? Probably not many, right? Because once we see that God is not doing anything, we move on to other options. We don't have time to dwell on unanswered prayers. And Hannah had other options too. Elkanah said to her, 
Don't focus on the kids. Focus on my love. Am I not more to you than ten sons? Move on. Is God just one of your options, or is He always the persistent option? I remember one of the Chinese pastors telling this story in a conference last year. He asked, "What do we do when we get sick?" No, but let's go see a doctor. And the doctor says, "No hope." So we find another doctor. If doctors in China can't help us, we go overseas until we go around the whole world and see all the doctors, and they all say, "No hope." And then we say, "No, wait a minute. I'm a Christian. Forgot to pray." And then we pray. And we pray like crazy. Or we pray like crazy at the beginning, and then over time we just move on and stop. But neither of those is true for Hannah. Prayer is neither her last option, nor is it a formulaic motion. She prayed persistently and with increasing intensity. We know because we can see this in her prayer. Now we'll look into her prayer in a little bit. But here's why. Here's what my Chinese friend said. Prayer is a war initiated by people who worship and fear God. It's an offensive move. It's not the last option at the end of the road. In Paul's description of the armor of God, prayer is the only offensive weapon. Do we believe that? We just finished a whole sermon series on the Psalms and different ways to pray. And perhaps for many of us, how much we pray really depends on whether God answered our prayers. And that takes me to the second point: Does God actually answer prayers? Do prayers work? Well, it appears in this story that God does answer prayers. That God remembered Hannah and gave her a son. See, it all worked out. But why? Why now? Why didn't God answer her earlier? And perhaps more important to you, why hasn't God answered your prayers? Well, let me explain by telling you a story. On March eighth, two thousand fourteen. At 12:42 a.m. local time, a Boeing 777 took off from Kuala Lumpur in Malaysia for Beijing Capital International Airport. It was carrying 227 passengers and 12 crew members. Remember this? It was a very routine flight, but at 2:22 a.m., the plane disappeared from the radar, and it was never found. All 239 people on board were presumed dead. Search efforts were conducted in South China Sea and Andaman Sea, and then later on, flight data indicated that the plane may have fallen into the Indian Ocean.、So、the Malaysian government, the Chinese government, the Australian government, and many private companies conducted many search efforts. CNN covered this extensively for months. Like this is like the news of the month or the end of the year.、And、nothing was found. Over the last eight years, some pieces of the plane floated to Eastern Africa. But still, to this day, no one knows what happened to the plane or where it is. Was it a hijack? Did the commit? Did the pilot commit suicide? Did something go wrong with the cargo? No one knows. Now, what does this have to do with God's response to our prayer? Nothing. I just wasted two minutes of your time. 
Except this. They're both disturbing mysteries. They both still keep me up at night sometimes. I don't know why God answers some prayers and why he doesn't answer some others. I don't know. But here's what I know. I know prayers change us. Hannah was changed. Verse 18 says, She prayed, then she went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. She ate. That's not a simple thing because she was so upset before that she couldn't eat. But notice, this is before God granted her a son. She didn't know whether God would answer her prayer, but her face was no longer sad. And you may think she just had some sort of catharsis, but I think it's more than that. You know, she addressed God as, O Lord of the host. That's an, that's an acknowledgement of God's mighty power. He's the God of all the armies, the God of the universe, the God of high hosts, the high heavens. He is far above any of us. But listen to what she says next. O Lord of the hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant... In the same sentence, she acknowledges God as the God of the sun, moon, and stars, and she also asks God to pay attention to her, a lowly country woman who is barren, because she knows. She's reminding herself through her prayers that God is personal and near. Prayers help her recognize again who God is and how close he is. Now think of the Lord's Prayer. We just prayed that earlier. How does it begin? Our Father. It's very personal. But then, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Very mighty and majestic. And then, give us this day our daily bread. Very mundane and personal, just like how you bring each other a meal. That's what prayer does. It reminds us of the power of God and the proximity of God. I was meeting with my counselor earlier this week, and she said, you know, we have a storytelling brain. That's a good thing. But we usually tell stories that makes us feel safe. For example, if the story in your brain is that you don't feel safe around your husband or dad, you would do everything in your power to make sure you don't make him upset. We have a tiny safety net in our brain. But prayers give us a better story. It tells us that God is big and God is near. The more desperate we are, the bigger God becomes. And that changes us. And second, prayer changes our outlook. Hannah prays, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me, and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a son... And I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and no razor shall touch his head. Now she's making a Nazarite vow here, as commanded in Numbers chapter 7. It means that she's dedicating her son to be holy to the Lord. And the requirements of this vow is that he can't drink alcohol, he can't be near anything unholy, and he can't shave his hair. Remember Samson, by the way, whose mother was also barren, took this vow. Now what does this mean? It means Hannah saying, God, if you give me a son, I would not use him as my safety net 
or as my study status symbol. I won't even keep him with me. I will give him right back to you. Give me a son, not for me, but for you. I will be part of your mission. I want him to do what you want him to do. The prayers changes our outlook because it aligns us with God's missions. And more on that in a minute. And lastly, prayer makes us more attuned to God's answers. No prayers make us look for God's responses. And the God may not respond to what we ask for, but He responds to prayers we didn't pray. What? That's a bit hard to explain. And the, the best explanation I heard is from Tim Keller. And here's how he explains it God answers the prayer we would have prayed if we have His vantage point. God answers the prayer we would have prayed if we have his vantage point, meaning we ask for things that seem best to us based on what we see and what we know, but we only see and know so little. But if we were able to see everything that God sees and know all the things that God knows, we may have asked things very differently. That's what God gives us. Not what we ask, but what we we would have asked if we were able to see what he sees. Some of you may recognize this lady. Her name is Jane Markzewski from Zanesville, Ohio, better known by her stage name Nightbird. She had many battles with cancer. Her husband of five years abandoned her two years ago. And as she shared with the audience on America Got Talent, she has cancer in her liver, lung, and spine right now. She was given a 2% chance to live. But she went on stage and sang a song that she wrote called It's Okay. And her voice and her joy moved the typically cynical Simon Cowell to tears. And Simon Cowell gave her the golden buzzer. And as it turns out, she's a strong believer. The Gospel Coalition just ran an article on her. And here's what she said in a blog post called God is on the bathroom floor. I remind myself that I'm praying to the God who let the Israelites stay lost for decades. They begged to arrive in the promised land, but instead he let them wander, answering prayers they didn't pray. For 40 years their shoes didn't wear out. Fire lit their path each night. Every morning he sent them mercy bread from heaven. I look hard for the answers to the prayers that I didn't pray. I look hard for the answers to the prayers that I didn't pray. Notice she started by praying and ends by looking for answers to prayers she didn't pray. Prayer opened her eyes to look. Can you do that? God may not give you what you ask for, but can you look for answers to prayers that you didn't pray? Joseph was in, in a pit and in prison for years, and I'm sure he begged for freedom. The Bible said God was with him, but God did not let him out. Elijah, when he was being persecuted by a pagan queen, asked God to let him die. God sent him an angel to cook him food and give him some sleep. Peter, in Luke chapter 5, asked Jesus to go away. Jesus stayed. Jesus, in the Garden of Gethsemane, Asked God to remove the cross from him. 
Now, he was in such distress that he was sweating blood. Eli would have probably mistaken him as drunk. But God sent Jesus to the cross because that's the only way that God could save us. Look hard for answers to the prayers that you didn't pray, and God will meet you there. And lastly, how do we look for those answers? See, it's easy to spot God's answers when he gives us what we ask for, like Hannah. But how do we look for answers to prayers that we didn't pray? What's the secret? Hannah's prayer in chapter 2 shows us the secret. The secret is to know and put ourselves in God's bigger story. Now, Hannah offered this prayer as a thanksgiving to God, but notice there's nothing in this prayer that directly thanked God for a son. Now, for any of us making this prayer, we would probably say something like this. Well, thank you, Jesus, for giving us a child. For he's handsome and beautiful. We thank you for a healthy baby and a smooth delivery. Please now help us get some sleep. Hannah mentioned none of that. She said a little bit about triumphant, triumphing over her enemies, but notice for the majority of the prayers, she's thanking God for who he is and what he's doing in his, for his people. And here's some of the things that she says about God. God defeats his enemies and saves his people. God is holy and he's a rock to his people. God knows you. God is close to the feeble and the brokenhearted. God lifts up the poor and the lowly, but he will punish the mighty and the proud. He will give strength to his king and his anointed. These are not things that you find out just because God gave you a child. These are things that Hannah already knew even before God gave him Samuel. And the birth of Samuel only confirms what she already knew. And how does Hannah know any of this? It's because she knows the story of her people. She sees that her life reflects the predicament and hope of Israel. She knows how God saved his people in the days of the judges when they repented and cried to God. She knows how God remembered his people when they were slaves in Egypt. She knows how God promised Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that kings would come out of their descendants. And she knows that God would take these ragtag tribes and turn them into a powerful nation. And Hannah didn't know how her life or her son's life would fit in God's story but she knows that God's story is much bigger than what she sees. So she puts herself in that story. And she has the confidence that God of the universe would respond to a lowly barren woman like her because she is part of this great reversal that God is working in the world where the poor will be rich, the barren will bear children, and the feeble will be strengthened. And almost all the commentators notice that Mary's Magnificat in Luke chapter 1 closely reflects, closely reflects Hannah's prayer here. Mary says, God has done great things for me. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thought of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of the humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent empty. Mary also saw herself and a miracle child, part of a much bigger story. 
And if you're brokenhearted and you're wondering how you could be part of this bigger story, believe in Jesus' invitation. What Jesus says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Put yourself in the bigger story of God's redemption. Even though he has not given you the things that you ask for, look hard for answers that the prayers that you didn't pray. God has called you blessed because he has given you the child, God's own child, Jesus. He is so close to the meek and the poor that he went to the cross to save you. And he will bring you to the grave reversal that has already begun with his resurrection. So at the beginning, I asked, which of these experiences is most familiar to you? Praying so hard that people thought you were drunk? Seeing God actually answer your prayers or giving thanks to God like you just won a war? And I pray that all three of these will be a common experience for all of us. That we will pray with persistence and with increased intensity. That we'll learn to see how God responds to our prayers. That we'll give thanks to him for all that he has done for us. Let's go to the Lord now and pray. Father, we thank you for the way that you work in our lives, for the way that you sent Jesus to be with us, to work in this great reversal that gave us hope to bear the weight and the pain of our lives. We pray that you will open our eyes to see all the works that you're doing and apply this great reversal to our lives. Help us to put ourselves in this bigger story and help us to pour out our souls to you when we feel the pain of the world, when we feel all the brokenness around us. And Lord, help us to see you and get to know you and to know that you are near to us, but that you are also powerful and mighty. And Father, we thank you. And we pray that you would bring us to this table to be strengthened by your blood and your bread. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to a sermon from New City, a church in Cincinnati, Ohio. Visit our website at newcitycincy.org for more sermons and resources. That's newcitycincy.org. Thanks for joining us today, and God bless you.